but I basically spent the winter hustling. And it was scary. I mean, we we're getting close to spring and I didn't have any contracts and nothing was really happening. And then finally one of them came through. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. Welcome to this episode of From Paint to Purpose. Today we have a remarkable guest, founder of FCP Services, Chip Campion. You're going to hear his journey of starting a business and growing a business, truly from paint to purpose. So tell us, I guess, about the the start of, of Final Coat Painting, now FCP Services. Uh, talk about your early career, uh, how you decided to start the business, and uh, and just share that story. Well, we're, it was in the 80s, and the 80s were not very good times. Um, and I didn't have a lot of uh, choices for jobs. I mean, the only job I could really find that made me any money was painting job. And the first one I did was uh, um, worked for new construction through my dad. My dad was a um, realtor, um, contracts for deeds, and they were buying buildings and stuff and doing developments. And so I worked for a painting contractor that was doing their new homes or they owned the land and somebody else built the houses. Um, and that's where I started painting. And I was still pretty young at that time and more interested in partying and doing other things than actually working. So I lost that job. And then my next job was I got a job with a company called. And what they exclusively did was multi-housing and pretty much just townhouses. Abbott the name um, are the name. And his name was. And I kind of did the same thing with him for a while where I just worked when I wanted to work. And, um, and then I met my wife, Dawn, and uh, we started dating um, and uh, kind of turned into a more of a, a relationship. And we moved in together and, you know, it was kind of time to grow up. And then I started taking it more seriously. And she actually came and worked with me too. Um, I ran a crew and um, I did all the spraying and all of the um, large body work and, and she was in charge of all the trim. And it kind of progressed into a subcontracting thing. I mean, I became you know pretty efficient at getting these townhouse developments done. And then we started hiring um, quite a few people ourselves and you know had more than one crew. And we were doing pretty well, you know, I was pretty satisfied, but there was one big problem. The guy was not paying us when we were supposed to get paid. We were constantly bouncing checks and constantly, you know, I spent more time running around chasing checks at the bank than I did um, painting, you know, two days a week. And it just kind of got to the point where um, we were getting really, really frustrated with it and didn't really understand why he was doing it. I really liked this guy. I, mean, I respected him a lot. and. Um, I kind of, he kind of, I thought he was more like a mentor to me. And my wife was the one that kept saying, well, we should do this on our own. We should go out and start our own business. I mean, you can do this. And, you know, I just didn't have the confidence in myself. And it got bad at, the, at I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 89. 
um, where it was really hard to keep keep things going because we was constantly, you know, we were doing a pretty decent volume of work and we were having a hard time, you know, keeping payroll and stuff. And I was spending a lot more time doing that. And um, Don said, well, let's just try it and do it on our own. And that was kind of towards the fall of 89. And I was not, you know, I was not real gun ho about doing it. And I finally just said, okay. And went back to, you know, he still owed us a bunch of money and kind of told him that this is what I was going to do, you know, because I still had some respect for him. And he got really mad about it. You know, this is my livelihood. You, how can you do this to me? And blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then he offered me a partnership. And he said that, you know, he'd give me half the company and we would be partners in it. And I actually got kind of excited about that. And I went back home and told my wife Dawn about it. And she just went, are you freaking crazy? Why are you going to want to partner with somebody that's been stealing from us and, you know, not telling us the real amount of the contracts that we weren't getting the full percentage that we were supposed to be getting? Why would you want to do that? If you're stupid enough to do that, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> and so it kind of really kind of sunk into my head that, you know, we're going to have to do this. And it was a scary jump. I mean, it was coming into the winter and I mean, we, you know, probably had enough to last through the winter, but that was about it. And I just had to go out and hustle. And that's what I did. We formed a corporation, uh, S corporation, um, got everything set up, got a bank account. And all I did is go out and hustle. I mean, and I went after a lot of the stuff that I was doing before with, I mean, because it was low-hanging fruit and they know who did the work um not him but me and um and then I went out and just kind of went after all kinds of other town home associations that we weren't doing but I basically spent the winter hustling and it was scary I mean we we're getting close to spring and I didn't have any contracts and nothing was really happening and then finally one of them came through it was Mallard Creek um a small duplex um Townhome Association, um, and I think we got 10 buildings or something to do. And I'd already had quite a few guys that worked with me in the past, so I just started gathering those guys up, and uh, we got our first job. I don't even remember how much it was, but it was probably, you know, 15000 or something. And um, as we were doing that job, then another one came in. And basically the summer went that way, where by the end of the summer, I think we had done close to a quarter of a million, 250,000. So basically the first year was pretty darn successful. I mean, it was a tough year. I mean, tough making payroll, getting the checks, you know, learning the whole process of, of that. And Dawn was still working in the field with me. She was kind of controlling the um, trim end of it. And I was taking care of that end, but I was also taking care of the business end and the sales. And going into the next year, I got more aggressive, but I actually decided to take a turn and I seen all this opportunity in uh, apartment complexes instead of just townhouses. And I started going after the big management companies, the Trammell Crows and um, companies like that, Gasson or not Gasson, um, just pretty much apartment uh, people. Um, and there was quite a few of them and I was surprised and how they really weren't getting served very well. And I had hooked up with a guy with Trammell Crow who basically ran the Minnesota division. He just got it. And they had um, 
1,500 units, 2,000 units up here, and four or five really nice big complexes. And I just started, you know, working him pretty hard on it. And by spring, I had got one of these big complexes from him. I think it was, uh, um, it was either Carlson Gates or uh, trying to think of the one in uh, Minnetonka, um, Chasewood. And it was unreal. I mean, this was a big contract. I think it was 160000 or 170000 And that's when I actually took one of my guys, who still works for me now, Kevin McGuire, and broke him off as a, you know, he, I set him up as a sub, and then I continued to run two other crews. And I think by the end of the second year, we were over a million, um, or close to a million. I think it was close to it. Um, I think I had three or four crews running and that's the year that I ran across James. Well, it was actually some, um, two guys that started working for me and they weren't the Lacusa family. They were another family in the church. Um, I swear the two guys probably didn't say five words the, the whole year that they worked, but they were really good workers. And by the second year, um, we got I got more of the contracts with apartment complexes, probably more than I had townhouse contracts. And I think we did like pretty close to 2 million. And I think I had five or six crews out there. And that year we got a lot of uh, the guys from the church. And I think that's the year that James started working. And I would get, these guys would show up in these old beat up cars and there would be six or seven or eight of them in this little car and they'd come out and they'd work their butts off. And I mean, it, it kind of was at that point right there where all of a sudden it was starting to get really overwhelming for me because I was doing the payroll, I was doing the sales, I was doing the, you know, running the crews, going out to all the crews. I mean, I would spend, you know, the whole day on Friday just running around paying people. Um, it's, it started to get overwhelming, but the nice thing about it, I was just doing seasonal work. So I basically, it turned on in May, uh, April, May, and it shut totally off in November, and then I could just concentrate on sales. Um, so it was kind of nice. I'd have the winters off, and I mean, and I kept doing that for quite a few years, and I think I got it to where we were somewhere up there around um, 3 million, 2.5. I mean, and that was a real comfortable spot for me. And then some other competitors kind of came in, and actually, I can't even remember the name of them, um, but they actually tried to make deals with a lot of my guys to take a lot of my guys. And actually, some of them came in and kind of threatened me if I didn't give them subcontracting positions that they were going to leave. And the only one that really sat down and talked to me seriously was James. And, um, and James had a tough decision to go work with his buddies and be with his buddies or stay with me. And I guess he had a conversation with his dad about it. And his dad kind of told him that, you know, who's been loyal to you, who's treated you right, you know, I, I think it might not be a bad idea to stay with Chip, you know. He did. And from that point on, I basically turned him into a subcontractor and um, went pretty good um, for the next year, two years. We lost some work, but gained a lot of it back. And, and then I just had to make a decision um, if I was going to 
it was getting so tough and so competitive that either I had to stay small and just do maybe even less, you know, like a million and a half or something like that, a million, and just stay small, or I had to decide that I wanted to go to the next level. And obviously, I decided to go to the next level. Um, I hired Brandon at that time, basically was a customer um, who worked for Omega Management, and he's the one that kind of came in and helped us establish an office and helped us, you know, kind of get more legit where we had people doing the payroll and, and doing a lot of the jobs that I couldn't do. Um, by this time, Dawn was no longer really working in the business. She was basically raising kids and um, staying at home. Um, she did do the payroll, help me with the payroll a lot for a long time, but she kind of stepped out of it. But I mean, in my eyes, Final Coat Painting wouldn't have been Final Coat Painting if it wasn't for my wife. She's the one that forced me in a way to make the decision, which was the right decision um, to do it. But I mean, reality was when we started off, I really had nothing. And I had, you know, bank account was even difficult to get open. Um, that today, looking back is as I wish I would have went to a smaller bank, to a, um, a community bank instead of working with Wells Fargo or back then it was uh, Northwest Bank. Um, but that's what I thought I had to do to, you know, be in a, run a business. Um, but at that point, when we started creating an office, James turned into a salesman, um, and was basically doing sales. Brandon was pretty much running the office and that kind of went on for one or two years. And then we started bringing in other people. That's when we hired like Dan and um, really had a full-time secretary um, or office manager. Um, and then, you know, we were still doing right around the three million. I think the year that when James came in as sales, I think we bumped it up and we got pretty close to four. Um, and then I, I always was exclusively using uh, Velspar paints. And the reason I was doing it, because I didn't like Sherwin-Williams. Sherwin-Williams was always like, played like they were the top dog and you had to do what they said. We had some problems. They had some paint that was bad. Um, it was a dark brown paint. I, I can't even remember what it was, but we used it on a lot of the trim on a lot of the townhouses and it chalked out where it turned white. And we had to go back and repaint a whole bunch of these townhouses. Um, and they did not give me any warranty on it. And this was like when I was still working with and so I decided right from the start that I wasn't going to work with Sherman Williams. And we didn't. And I worked exclusively with uh, Velspar. Um, and I was down talking to my rep down at the corporate office. I think I was down there because Velspar had the corporate, corporate office in downtown Minneapolis with the building next to the dome that had all the colors on it. Yeah. And I was actually painting that for them. I had a couple guys down there. And I was down there and I ended up talking to my rep's boss and he started talking about uh, Lowell's, that uh, Lowell's Corporation was, they were in partners with them and they were going to start doing a repaint program. Lukey, um, the head of uh, sales at um, uh, Velspar, um, was starting this program. And as soon as I heard it, I said, well, I'd like to you know, get a piece of that and try it if there's an opportunity there. I came back to the office and I told James about it. And, you know, of course he got excited about it too. And 
long story short, they they actually did not, we did not win a job. We did not win any of the stores at the beginning, um, but we did get um, the blue uh, where the sign of uh, Lowell's is. They gave us like a hundred of those to paint. And we you know, went and bought a truck and a uh, portable boom. And we sent uh, one guy, two guys out on the road and that's all they were doing that year. I mean, and it was, you know, we were making pretty good money off of it. But then one of the contractors that they hired about mid-year, um, they fired and they called us up and asked us if we wanted to try doing the store. And um, I basically told James, I can't run this. If we're going to do this, you're going to be the one in charge of it. And that's where it started doing Lowell's. We went out and he actually worked on site, um, brought Robert along. Robert was painting um, uh, townhouses at the time and went and worked with James. And I think it was in Ohio. Um, I can't think of the name of the town, but went out and did our first store. And it, was, it wasn't easy. I mean, these Lowe's stores were, there was a lot to them with doing the canopies, the blue roofs, the, doing the exterior of the stores. But you figured it out. And as soon as we got that one done, they gave us another one. And basically Robert ended up being the one that was in charge of the store on site. And James was kind of doing the logistics back in the office. And um, I think by the second year they gave us like 40 stores or something and that's kind of where it took off from there i guess one thing i didn't mention at the beginning was is some of the stuff that went on with with um, um always he always put him with he always put himself first um he always got paid first he always you know everything else was second to him and the lesson I learned about that when I started Final Coat Painting was that people were always going to be first, that my subcontractors and my employees got paid before I got paid, and they were before me. And they, there was no way, shape, or form I was ever going to treat people the way that he treated people. And I think that was kind of one of the key components that really helped a lot with me to find good people at the beginning, and that way people stuck with me. Um, well, that's a, a, such a fantastic uh, story. I want to touch on what you just said there because a big part of why I'm in, in the organization is because the culture of the organization mattered, and, and it all and and you just touched on this as being a fundamental decision that you made as a business owner to put people first beyond yourself, beyond your own uh, gain that you could have easily done, especially given the story that you just told about how the business continued to grow. What was the motivation beyond just your experience with, uh, with about how you saw him handle business? You also have, have chosen to give people like James uh, a first start, but you also have uh, shown up with people to give them second or third opportunities, or maybe even their last opportunity to make something of themselves. What's that motivation? Where did that come from for you to care so deeply about giving people the opportunity? Well, I think it comes a lot from how I started. I mean, uh, it was really hard to find an opportunity. And when I found one, um, I latched onto it. And like I said, I always had a lot of respect for you know. Um, there's a lot, like I said earlier, that there was a lot of things that I learned not to do, and that's when I learned it, when I saw how some of the some of the ways he treated people and he'd done things. And I wanted to treat people like I wanted to be treated, 
and I wanted to give people opportunity. And that whole decision at that where that came in was at a time that when I started the office and I made that decision really to um, either go big or stay the way I am. And that's where it really got the foundation for that really got cemented in is that uh, this is not about me anymore. This is about a company and taking care of other people. And I mean, I think some of that too came from, from me being an alcoholic um, and going through uh, treatment and being a part of AA, uh, giving people, you know, second opportunities. Um, and it's, it's unbelievable to watch people when you give them that opportunity and um, watch them thrive. And very, very rarely when you give somebody a good opportunity to be successful and set them up to be successful, it, it, it's very rarely they fail. And um, especially people that have had a tough life and have gone through um, tough things in their lives, like alcoholism or being arrested or whatever it might be. And most of the people that I've given that opportunity have shined. Very rarely have they not. And I think that's just part of the culture in this con company and has kind of stayed in this company. You know, at this point in my life, um, at a certain time, I had gotten cancer, and I was struggling um, pretty hard with that, um, and just uh, mentally, I it was struggling with that because of the cancer, and I just I couldn't do it anymore. And my wife came in and started working in the business again, and uh, James pretty much took over, and um, there was a little conflict there or more than a little, um, but we worked it out. And pretty much now, um, I, James is pretty much running the com company. He ended up becoming 49% um, owner, and um, he is actually where the company is now. He's the one that took it there, not me. And I think a lot of his success has been for me just to step back and, you know, let him make his own mistakes and let him figure stuff out on his own. And I mean, I think it's been kind of a rocky road. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of stuff that has to be done. And he took it from being a small organization, you know, when I say small, I mean, you know, five, six, seven million to where it's at right now. I think our revenue last year was just under 25 million. Um, and that's amazing. I mean, there was a time that I looked at this business and I wanted it to be a $50 million business. And that was my goal. And I see that goal coming now, probably within the next couple of years. Um, but that's not my goal. That I, I cannot take credit for that. That's James's. So talking about James, uh, what did you see in him that gave you the confidence to give him the opportunity to really, you know, here you are as an owner of the business. And at that point you were sole owner of the business to give somebody who was inexperienced, but who worked hard, the keys to the kingdom in many ways. Uh, what was it that you saw in him? Uh, a lot of it was just the kind of person he is. I mean, he's a very um, caring person. Um, he's got a lot of faith. Um, doesn't wear it on his sleeve though. And I, you know, I, I, I almost took him under my wing early on as uh, I tried to be 
kind of that figure mentor maybe. Um, but he just shined in anything he did, and his personality just shined. I mean, he's he's infectious when you're around him. He's he can get he can get stuff out of people that people can't usually get out of themselves. And I mean, it's just I didn't really have any doubt or any misgivings. Um, he just shined, and I seen that, and I seen how other people followed him. You have an uncanny ability of squaring people up pretty quickly uh, and having a gut instinct on people, which is not an, uh, a, a common trait, especially in entrepreneurs. Oftentimes, they are very independent. They want to control everything. Where does that, where does that kind of mindset come from for you to be able to, to watch other people step back and watch other people uh, shine uh, and and to be able to to size people up and make a pretty good gut instinct and be right more times than not. I don't know where that comes from. I don't. I don't really have an answer for that. Um, maybe my father. Um, my dad was one of those people that loved everybody and saw the good in everything. Um, always had a smile on his face, no matter how tough things got. He was always. Um, had a lot of faith, um, and just a real kind, caring person. And I have to say that I didn't take after that when I was young. I was kind of an arrogant little shit. Um, but I, it came out later in life. And I think maybe a lot of it came from there. But I'm really, I'm not sure. Um, I just always tried to look for the best in people. And I was able to, for some reason, see that see that the, what their potential was. And I think a lot of it comes with giving, let, giving people a chance to shine, you know, not control them, not tell them what to do all the time. You know, some people you do, you have to really help them a lot at the beginning, but then all of a sudden when you give them that opportunity to do it on their own, you either see it click or you, see, you don't see it click. Um, but most people do, especially if you give them the right guidance and the right stuff. Um, I think with me, I think I, I, I want to see people be successful. So I want to help them be successful. And I see that a lot in especially people that have had a tough time um, and aren't the rock star from the very beginning that walk in the door. You know, I'd love to get a lot more rock stars that walk in the door. We all would, but um, I just... I don't really know where that comes from. Well, honestly, I, I think the people who have to struggle uh, for whatever it is and for whatever reason tend to be people who are more loyal, as you found out, but also people who want to prove themselves. So there's always a little bit of a chip on their shoulder um, and, and they're always willing to give a little extra. And I've seen that in this organization, especially talking to people who have been here a long time and and watching them struggle, but also watching them thrive. We have so many people and so many stories of people who started in one position and are now in a very different position that when you ask them, they say, I never thought I'd, do, I'd be able to do this. And so that gives me great joy to watch that with people as well. Taking back to the the beginning of the company, you know, often there are people who complain about what they don't have resource wise and other things. What resources did you have that you tapped into right away, not just financial, but other means 
that helped you to uh, build the business? I think a lot of it just was my ability to sell. I mean, I just, I really didn't have any, you know, resources. I mean, um, I didn't have, I didn't get anything. My parents didn't have anything at the time. Um, it was really hard just to get a bank account. I mean, literally. I think it was just the honesty and the um, gift of giving people what they needed. And just simple as that. I mean, it's a service business. You go out and you're, you're doing a service for people and, you know, you make sure that you're doing it right and doing everything the right way. And as long as you stay on that path and trying to do the very best and better than anybody else, um, it just works out. Um, I don't know where that came from. I mean, you know, I went out and I, I had to sell my butt. I mean, um, but again, it's people. It's just people, being honest to people, giving people opportunity. Um, some people have taken advantage of that and um, went off and started their own business and taken a lot of business from me. Um, and that jaded me when that happened. With um, I didn't see it coming. And he basically was running the Minnesota division and he walked out the door and he walked out the door with probably $2 million worth of business. And in one part, we have not never really gotten that townhouse business back. Um, and I never really understood that. Um, it angered me hugely, but um, that's part of the trust I put in people that they were going to do good for me and for themselves. And, that's not always going to be the situation. This um, it changed a lot of things in the way the business was put together in the order of having non-competes and um, a lot more legal stuff put in place. Um, but I still, you know, at first I got jaded and then I just kind of went right back to where I was at that, you know, this stuff happens and not everybody's going to be loyal all the time. And money is a pretty strong factor in things in life uh, to a lot of people which I don't think it's that strong of a factor to me. Um, I guess one of the other things that I really have tried to instill in people is that I'll do, that I'm never gonna ask them to do something that I won't do myself. And I mean, that's probably my worth ethic that, and a lot of people have followed that. And I think James, for sure, I mean, he's, he's driven like I was driven back then, um, where I thought I could do any, everything. And there's a point in life when you figure out you can't anymore. I mean, um, you just, you, you hit a wall sooner or later when, when, if you try to continue to do that for a long, long period of time and I hit the wall and I'm content now to just work on stuff in the back, but I've got a talent in sales too, that I want to, be able to have the opportunity to go out and just sell. And I've been given that opportunity where I don't have to do project management, where I don't have to do estimating. And I'm just trying to kind of back out of my role that I've been playing in reorganizing all the logistics and the equipment and whatnot. And I'm just about there. Um, and I'm actually going to get an opportunity to work directly with my son, um, who's been in the business for quite a few years, and help him along to do sales. And I'm looking forward to it. It's just trying to get 
motivated again to do that, um, which isn't that hard, but it's still, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's not just walking into it and having everything right there. It's going to take me some time, but I'm dedicated to do it. And that's the way I want to end my career in this business is doing sales. Well, I know that I have always admired uh both your intellect for business, but also that work ethic. When I see you in the back working on equipment, uh, I know we've had conversations where you've talked about how much you want to make sure the guys in the field have what they need and to give them the best of what we can offer them. Uh, and, and I've also then seen you in, in meetings where you have been working with bankers and you have been helping others in the organization understand the business side of things you just talked about the fact that sort of this next step for you is to get back into sales and to give back that knowledge both to your son, but also I think to anybody else who wants to learn it in this organization, which I think is such a fantastic thing. So what motivates you now? Why, why continue to work when you really don't have to? What's, the, what's there that, that's continuing to drive you to get up in the morning and, and do the work when you really don't have to? The joy of being around other people, the joy of accomplishing stuff. I mean, I'm not one to sit still. Um, and whatever I jump into, I jump into it 100%. And I I know if I go away from this work, I'm going to go find something else to jump into and probably drive my wife crazy. Um, so I'm trying to gradually back out of this. And I think sales is a good thing to do because it's something that I can do and pass on really easy. It's not going to be something that um, it's going to take a lot of work to train somebody else to do what I do. And plus, I think I'm going to get a lot of enjoyment out of it because I always have a lot of enjoyment on meeting and greeting people and um, making deals happen. I mean, that's that's a lot of fun, um, especially when I don't have to do the after effect which I'm told I'm not going to, but I'll wait and see. <laughs> well, I made that promise to you and I, and I will hold to it. You won't have to be doing all the stuff that you had to do before. That's our commitment to building the organization the right way and putting the infrastructure in place, um, which uh, as you get bigger, like we are, uh, you have to, because otherwise you can't sustain it. People are, uh, you talk just briefly about hitting that wall and every entrepreneur hits a wall at some point. They realize they can't do it all. They need to bring people on board. I can tell you from experience, I've done that myself. And I, I don't know how long I banged my head into the wall trying to still do it when I, when I wasn't helpful to myself, to my family, or to the business. James has, has found that out the last couple of years. He's got an enormous work ethic, and he and Robert can take on so much. But they're both realizing that you need to surround yourself with good people who can take that burden off of you. When you think about what that legacy you want to leave uh, for this business uh, when you are able to step off and go do something else at some point. What does that look like? What is that legacy that you want to make sure that when you're uh, no longer having a pulse on the business, that it's still doing the things that you set out to do when you started? People first. I mean, it's probably as simple as that. And if you look at that, both in the people that work with you, and also the people you work for. I mean, it, it always ends up, it's always a winning solution. I mean, because that's really what life's all about is um, enjoying life and having good people around you, good friends. Most of the people that have I've worked with have become friends too, more than that. 
more than just an employee. Um, and I just want this company to continue to thrive and to be what it is, uh, people first company and a company that's going out there and giving people service that they've probably never really experienced in a lot of situations that they know when they work with us, they're working with good people and the people here in the company really care about what they're giving them in return. So as we kind of wrap up uh, this episode, for those entrepreneurs out there, those leaders out there who are listening to this, and when you think about it, you've, you shared this great journey of, of where the business has been. And obviously there have been uh, rough spots along the way and a lot of sleepless nights trying to, to figure out how you're going to make payroll and where the next project's going to come from. But when you think about maybe one of the, the big risks you took that maybe didn't work out as, as you thought it was, what was that and maybe what did you learn from that and how did you rebound to continue on uh, that path of, of success? Growing too fast, that I means probably the biggest thing. Um, taking on more than what you can actually accomplish and um, you can get in trouble really fast. Um, luckily, we were able to survive a couple of those times where we had way too many people out there that didn't have the control they should have had um, and just getting over your head. I guess the biggest thing that, that I understood when I went into this was to understand what I was going to be getting into and what I was doing. I mean, I think a lot of people start on a business journey. Um, they don't really know what they're actually getting into where I was lucky enough to know to be, to be with somebody and get to learn the business and understand it. Um, the good and the bad, um, to go off and do it on my own. But I mean, it, it takes, it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of hard work to be successful in anything you do. Um, and, and then there is still that, that pit, bit of luck there too, no matter how you look at it, no matter which way you go. I mean, it's, you're not always the one that's in charge. I mean, it's simple as that. Um, well, I thank you for the time today. I think your story is so inspiring. I know you've inspired many of us here in the organization, whether we've been in the organization for 25 years or five years, uh, the, your legacy continues every day. And I know when I wake up and my team wakes up, that's our focus is to make sure that we hold up what you've started and what you believe uh, to be true about people and about how we conduct our business. So I thank you for the time. Your story is is inspiring to many. And uh, I'm looking forward to to hitting that uh, that time when we are able to get to that 50 million because it's coming. And uh, I'm excited to see what that looks like for the business and beyond because I know James has even more in, in store for taking on what you've given him. And he cherishes that. Uh, he's mentioned that to me multiple times that he's living out what he wants to do, but he's doing it because you gave him that opportunity. So thank you uh, for the time today and for where we're going as an organization and for giving so many people both a first chance, but then also a second chance to have meaning beyond just a paycheck. Thank you. I hope that you've been encouraged by our conversation today. To continue in that encouragement, Rate us, review us, and subscribe to this podcast so you can join us on the journey as we become a great company with great employees with unlimited opportunities. Until next time. Thanks for listening. 
To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.